Hello, this is Myron, one half of the Podfellas. I just wanted to give you all a warning that during this episode, we will be revealing some massive plot spoilers in regards to Wonder Woman 1984, as well as the Pixar film Soul. You have been warned. Cue the music. If you're good at something, never do it for free. You're my older brother, and I love you. But don't ever take sides with anyone against the family again. I bought you. <laughs> Welcome back. We are the Podfellas. Our show provides film and TV reviews from two guys that make, watch, and love movies. I'm Myron, and joining me each week is Will. How's it going, everybody? Today, we will be reviewing the films Wonder Woman 1984, Soul, and we will also be going through our top five most anticipated movies of 2021. And we also have a special guest with us. Uh, we have Kat Loznikova. She is a fashion and prop stylist with the Art Department LA. Thanks for joining us, Kat. Thanks for having me, you guys. I'm so excited. So Will told me about you. He said you really love movies and you get so excited when talking about films and stuff like that. So we thought it would be great to have you on. Why don't you tell me a little bit about how you first met Will? She brings the fire. Well, I hope Will wasn't lying about me and everything he said (laughs) was true. Um, Will and I actually met on set, top secret set with um, <laughs> John Park, who you had on the previous uh. week. So um, we're kind of a, a cute little family, us three, you know, uh, we just make photos happen and video happen. And of course, we always talk about movies. But I personally got into film um early on in the 90s, actually, the movie that made me really fall in love with this beautiful art form is um, Requiem for a Dream, Mm. where um, every scene... (laughs) Such a happy movie. (laughs) It's very optimistic, too, right? Um, Especially in the 90s for like, you know, like a a 12, 14-year-old girl watching that movie. I was just so blown away by the imagery (laughs) and the costumes that from there on, I think I really really start started to love such dark films where you know as a kid you're watching disney and everything's happy and prince charming and i couldn't really relate to the prince's narrative to me watching something like requiem for a dream or kids or train spotting i was like wow this is this is great i i can get on board with this nice Well, thank you for coming on. We're actually excited to have a different perspective. We've had just a bunch of dudes on, so we're actually very excited to get a a feminine perspective on things. So uh, I love that. Thanks for having me, truly. This is a big dream come true, especially because you talk about movies, and I love movies. And (laughs) I actually watch movies from a perspective of someone who is more behind the scenes and enjoys watching the whole project come together when there, you know, there's a, a director and a, like a set designer and a prop stylist and a costume and yeah. everyone just comes together behind the scenes to create this project that you, people get to enjoy. But I, I truly think that the bigger stories happen behind the scenes Absolutely. and end up a lot of those stories end up on the cutting floor. So yeah. to me, that part is very interesting. Kat will be with us this entire episode, but as always, first things first, let's get started with a rundown in the latest in entertainment news. Okay, so for today's episode, Will and Kat, what I'd like to do is go through some of the numbers that our uh, movie industry saw in 2020. And uh, 
yeah, it's kind of doom and gloom, a little bit like Requiem for a Dream, some might say. But uh, <laughs> yeah, here's some sad statistics for the year 2020. First off, U.S. box office in 2020 is down from 10.7 billion to two billion dollars. Yeesh. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and the number one movie in the United States was a movie released back in January, Bad Boys for Life at $204 million. Yes, <laughs> you heard it here. <laughs> Martin Lawrence is why. a box office king once again. They're down $8.7 billion from 2019. Like, I, I did not realize it was that big. I did not realize that. It was huge. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. But for Bad Boys for Life, I think, uh, well, I think it was like the only film. That was like released in theaters where COVID, uh, the lockdown wasn't like it wasn't happening just yet. Yeah, and people it didn't were affect it at all. Not yeah. at all. So, uh, you know, honestly, I think they got the luck of the draw. <laughs> to yeah. be honest, if you really think about it, January is actually the month where the studio system calls they call it the graveyard, because it's like they take all their movies that they don't know what to do with, when to release it, and ones that they feel like aren't going to be really loved by the critics or get good box office, they release it in January. And whoever would have thought that that would be really the only month where movies weren't affected by the pandemic. This has been a really shitty year for the film industry. I personally think that even 2021 and beyond things aren't going to go back to normal. Um, and, you know, I don't think that's a good or a bad thing. It's just different. I think the theater going model was already in trouble with the cost of operation increasing and less and less people going to the movies. I mean, it's why like multiplexes were serving full on meals as well as alcohol just to make a little bit more money. Um, I, for one, can't wait to go watch a, a film back in a theater. But at the same time, I really have no gripes with watching Soul or Mulan or Wonder Woman from the comfort of my own home. So to some element, I hope that doesn't change. I was ready to go see Wonder Woman at a drive through And then for a second, I was like, well, why would I drive 30 minutes to sit for two and a half hours, can't leave the car, I'm already home. This is comfortable. I like it. Like, I like it. If I need to pause it for a second and, you know, go make a sandwich, we're good. Like, yeah. I <laughs> I love seeing movies on the big screen, truly. For me, going to a movie theater is such a great experience. There's some nostalgia to it, no doubt. There are certain movies that I would want to see in the theater. But for now, where we are, we just have to adapt to the time and, and just stay at home and watch them on our couches. Yeah, the, it's it's a comfort thing now. And especially with technology and especially TVs, they're getting from, what, 77 inches to 98 inches screens. They're, they may be expensive now, but within a year, they're going to drop prices so dramatically. And so it's yeah. kind of like everyone who wants a home theater that they couldn't back like, what, 10 years ago or so, like it's going to be so much more affordable now. I love to talk through a few other numbers here. Obviously, with the hit that the theaters have taken, streaming is way, way, way up this year. So here's a list of some of the most streamed movies in 2020. I'll start from number 10, The Lovebirds, which came out on Netflix, The Witches, uh, directed by Robert Zemeckis, which came to HBO Max. The Trial of the Chicago 7 at number 8. The Old Guard with Charlie Theron at number 7. Mulan on Disney+. Plus. That was number hmm. 6, which is very interesting, interesting because yeah, yeah that, that one you had to pay a premium for, but it was still at number 6. Um, I watched it last night, actually. Yeah? Really? Thumbs <laughs> up, thumbs down? I have some thumbs up for it and some thumbs down uh -huh. as, you know. Yeah. yeah. So thumbs sideways. <laughs> thumbs like neutral. Yeah. neutral. Actually, you know what? I actually enjoyed it. I know some people are not. I thought it was, you know, 
I think there's place for it. Like, I think it inspires mm-hmm. girls to grow up to be what they are called to be. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Okay. All right. Phineas and Ferb, the movie is at number five. <laughs> Extraction <laughs> with Chris Hemsworth at number four. My Spy on Prime. My Spy. What yes. the flip? At yeah, whoever would have thought, right? Are you kidding me right now? Yep. And Freaking Borat bit. 2, number two. <laughs> Another Prime that video. That surprised me too. Yeah. The number one streaming film in all of 2020 is Hamilton. Which I am not surprised by. I'm not surprised. Yeah. Yeah. Same. Mm. All right. So wow. that's our list of most stream movies. And then, of course, the list of most stream shows on Netflix. Number one is Coco Melon. I hate Coco Melon. I never want to see it again. <laughs> for those of you, the, of you that don't know, it is a uh, television show made for children that little babies like to watch on repeat <laughs> until the parents are gouging their eyes out. So uh, I cannot believe they added Coco Melon to their streaming library. But yes. And then The Office. So basically, number one and number two are uh, you know old shows. But the number one new show that streamed on Netflix this year was yes. The Queen's Gambit. And yeah. Oh, phenomenal. Yeah. Wasn't that great? It yeah. Was amazing. Okay. So from a, a stylist perspective, what did you think about the production design and her outfits? Very proud of, very loved it all. Are you, I mean, I I wish we could just talk about that for, you know, an hour, <laughs> but you guys already did that. And I think you called someone else. So... <laughs> <laughs> I think she's a little bitter. Just kidding. Uh, Just just a little. little. So all you're going to get from me is the generic phenomenal I love. Uh (laughs) (laughs) And now a look at future episodes. Our next two episodes, we'll be talking about the top 10 films of 2020. And next week's episode, we'll be going through films number 10 through 6. And then we will be having a uh, discussion with a few guests on and interspersed throughout. We will be discussing some of our other bests of the year. It will be really, really fun. Hope you guys tune in for that. And also, Will and I have a big announcement coming up. We are rebranding. The Podfellas, unfortunately, will be no more. We are changing our name to the Film Drifters. Now, why the change? Well, very mysterious. But (laughs) see, as creatives, it's not so much the destination that matters for us. It's about all the things that we watch and take in and experience along the ways that help to change our perspective, our worldview. And as creatives, it inspires us to go out there and create for ourselves. The name, The Film Drifters, is just about that. The joy in the journey, focusing on what's happening right now rather than than focusing on the destination. So uh, 2021. Yeah, that was deep. Yeah. Big (laughs) things coming in 2021, people. So uh, be on the lookout for that. Any thoughts, comments, suggestions, or reviews of content, drop us a line at the podfellaspodcast at gmail.com. I guess that will be changing too, come to think of it. And uh, please tell your friends about us. Our podcast can be found on the Apple Podcast app, Google Play, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. And now, on to our review of our first film for this episode, Wonder Woman 1984, directed by Patty Jenkins. Here is a look at the trailer. My life hasn't been what you probably think it has. We all have our struggles. Have you ever been in love? A long, long time ago. You? So many times. Yeah, all the time. Welcome to the future. Life is good, but it can be better. And why shouldn't it be? All you need is to want it. All 
Sorry, that was a look at the trailer for Wonder Woman 1984. We fast forward to the 1980s as Wonder Woman's next big screen adventure finds her facing two all-new foes, Max Lord and the Cheetah. I was a big fan of the first Wonder Woman movie. I actually thought it was one of the top 10 best comic book films ever made. There were some moments in that that literally gave me goosebumps. Mm-hmm. Now, I was expecting something similar for this film. Uh, one of the things that the first movie I thought did really well is it gave a social commentary on things that, even though that movie took place in like the 20s and 30s, it, there was a commentary on things that we still deal with today, especially, in, you know, I'm referring to like gender roles, how men and women interact in uh, kind of what people's or society's expectations are of them. So I was expecting a lot of the same for this, especially because it's called Wonder Woman 1984. I mean, you're referencing a George Orwell novel. So I thought that as soon as this movie started, that it would be filled with symbolism and irony and metaphors. And unfortunately, it kind of really wasn't like that. Mm-hmm. Um I thought about this film and I had to make the comparison to a a movie that I felt like is very similar to this. I don't know if you guys have seen Superman 3 from the 80s. So that movie, much like this, followed uh, a successful uh, predecessor. Both films cast a comedic actor that completely changed the tone of the film. And that tone, I would have to say, isn't or wasn't so well received by everybody. Another thing I'd like to say is the MacGuffin is in the shape of a strange rock in both movies. And in both cases, that strange rock looks like it was the obvious product of the prop department. (laughs) It looked really bad, I have to say, Mm -hmm. in in this film. Mm -hmm. And both films really embrace the campiness factor. And uh, I actually really wasn't a fan of that for, for either Superman 3 or Wonder Woman 1984. And lastly, I think it's safe to say that for me at least, that the originals were... A much better film. Wow. I think you perfectly summed it up. Uh, the first movie, amazing. Loved it. Saw it maybe three times in the theater. Like, I'm not even exaggerating. Like, because I had to see it. Because the first time you watch anything, you're just kind of like, okay, this is cool. And then you watch it more for the cinematography of each shot, you know, uh, for the visual effects, for costuming, for the little slight details, for Easter eggs. So when I watched the trailer for this film, God, I was excited, super, super stoked. Everything seemed really cool. Um, I I went into it open-minded knowing that sometimes, you know, sequels kind of lag. Right. And boy, did this <laughs> lag. You know, the beginning of this film was good. I, I enjoyed the small flashback of Diana's upbringing in her world. You know, some of the action sequences were pretty good. I, I kind of wish there was more uh, soundtrack Obviously, the music still loved it. Like it was still like awesome in that. Um, for the for the cast, man, I I thought Kristen Wiig did an incredible job playing the villain. It, it was it was just funny to see the evolution, and this goes back to you, Kat, of the wardrobe as she became more and more dark and it started to evolve. Like I'm just like the one thing I kept pointing out when I was watching with my friends, like wow, her her wardrobe just keeps getting just darker and darker and darker. The one thing I didn't like was it wasn't, she wasn't focused enough as the villain. Because I know there's Maxwell and Cheetah. It was more focused on Maxwell. And I kind of wish it was more focused on Cheetah. So back to wardrobe. I thought the funniest arc of the whole movie was Kristen Wiig's character learning how to walk in heels. When we meet her, <laughs> she's stumbling over kitten heels. And by the end of the movie, she's doing uh, like air flips and like knee high boots like really (laughs) like it's crazy and then by the end of the movie 
oh, we'll get to her costumes at the end because I gasped when I saw, you know, her cheetah ensemble because it <laughs> truly felt like something that was a hand-me-down from cats. <laughs> it might have literally been. Who knows? Maybe they I, just raided their costume Maybe they ran out of money and they're just like, we just need something, guys. Come on. No, I truly think someone from Cats uh, called up Kristen Wiig and was like, Kristen, we have good news and bad news. Bad news, uh, your Cats costume is so messed up. We had to cut your part. But good news, you get to wear it as a villain in a very low-lit scene uh, in the next Wonder Woman. You in? And she's like, yeah, sure. Sign me up. <laughs> so I want to jump in here. Um, the first, the opening scene that takes place in, in you know, in the Amazon, yep. I, I, what do they call it? The the kingdom? Well, uh, the Mysteria? Mysteria? Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. yeah the Mysteria. So so the opening scene is a flashback to when Diana was younger and she's participating in like an obstacle course on steroids and she's like a little girl competing against women far older than her. It was shot and edited perfectly. Yep. It was just yep. an immaculately beautiful, perfect scene. And then we go to the 80s and I had no idea what the <laughs> hell I was I was watching. It's like every bad actor from the 80s and put them into a shopping mall and... Uh, what occurs is a pretty cool action scene, but they dial up the camp factor to a 20 out of 10. And I really wasn't sure what I was watching because it was a complete 180 degree turn from the original movie. <laughs> and the first 30 to 40 minutes is really off for me. It was just kind of all over the place. And there is just really weird, awkward scenes with Kristen Wiig. Uh, there's a scene where she's like near the Washington Monument. And before she gets mugged by a man, she knows the the homeless guy who's like covered in a blanket. And they have like a little bit of a conversation. And I'm, I was just like, what am I, what am I watching? And uh, I mean, we talk about movie ratings, right? Um, I had this film at a one and a half stars into the first 30, 40 minutes of the movie. I liken this movie to watching a basketball game and uh, you're watching, let's say the Lakers play and you know, they're better than the other team, but somehow they miss some shots. The other team starts playing well and they're down 20 in the first quarter out of nowhere. And, yeah, yeah. And luckily they figure it out. And by the end of the game, they still end up winning by 10. And that is, I think the perfect analogy to this film. When you mentioned the mall, the, the mall scene of uh, where the action sequence was happening. There was a moment where Wonder Woman saves a little black girl. But as once she saves her and she's grabbing one of the, the thugs or, or the robbers like by the neck, she looks over at her to the little black girl. The little black girl like looks at her and, she, and Wonder Woman winks. And then the black girl winks and then tells her to, to, to shush. And she shushed. And I was like, what did I just watch? What was that? Like, I don't understand I don't get the shush. what the shush was. I was like, what do you mean? Like, everyone's around you. Some, everyone sees what you're doing. They know who yeah. you are. What are you trying to get away with? I don't understand. I'm so confused. And I, and I will have to call my, call attention to another scene where they're playing up the fact that, you know, Diana Prince is lonely and she's living a solitary life. And she's eating dinner by herself outside. And a waiter comes by and says, is anyone joining you today? And then she says no. And then he then clumsily <laughs> continues clearing the silverware across from her. Clang, clang, clang. clang, clang, clang and just like, okay, clang, clang, we get clang. it. She's lonely. <laughs> No, I think it's very difficult for a production that big to make a character like Wonder Woman played by Gal Gadot, I'm sorry, yeah. who is so stunning, 
be relatable. So yeah. of course they make her seem lonely, like having <laughs> being on a date by herself because she's just still dreaming of this guy, you know, who she knew for a week. Yeah, they went through a traumatic experience together, but ultimately they're not together. And she's just like fantasizing, turning away every single opportunity that comes her way for 70 years. Yep. <laughs> yep. That's how, that, yeah, that's, that's modern dating right there. This beautiful <laughs> yeah. Gal Gadot by herself at dinner. And then I'm sorry, that guy hailing a cab was like, oh, hey, I didn't see you. Do you want to split it? And she's like, no, no, no. And he doesn't even offer it to her. What? Yeah, <laughs> that's chivalry for you. <laughs> yeah, dating that in 1984. Yeah. I just wanted to go back to this opening sequence. That was absolutely stunning. Like you said, Myron, it was beautifully shot um all of the women in in that sequence beyond stunning and gorgeous i had to pause when they show doubtson just because i couldn't take my eyes off of her i was like there's not enough of doubtson cruise in this in this movie like what mm -hmm. is going on if they ended it after that first sequence i would have been like beautiful <laughs> amazing can't wait for wonder woman uh three bring it on uh show me more of these women these horses just be like I was in I was on a roller coaster after the first drop and then we're at the mall and, and it kept dropping like, and just, dropping and we don't yeah. even see her in her uh Wonder Woman costume in the first mm -hmm. I don't know night like I was gonna say 90 not 90 like 40 minutes of yeah. film except for yeah. the yeah. mall scene and I have to like also add like the CG. Like, what are your thoughts on the CG, the CGI in this film? So it was a mix between good and not so good. Um, there were a few action scenes where I felt as though it just looked fake, and there was some logic oh, issues yes. overall in some of the action scenes. I'm referring specifically to a uh, big car chase sequence that I think is taking place outside of Egypt, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. Uh, and the end of it, uh, uh, the chase scene ends with Diana rescuing a couple of kids who are playing, playing in, in the, the middle of the street <laughs> and can't hear uh, like 20 tanks um, shooting at each other coming towards them. So there is some awkwardness there. And then I'll, I think you alluded to this, Kat, is uh, there's a big climactic fight scene between the cheetah and uh, Wonder Woman. And the CG in that scene is really bad, especially, yeah. I don't know what it was, but when they showed her, her legs, the cheetah's legs, it was like some weird hybrid between a human being's legs and a cheetah's legs. And I felt like they just stopped working on the legs and it just looked like really, really bad. A cheetah, like more like a plucked chicken. Yeah. It looked yeah. like they just exactly. took some like feathers or fluff and kind of glued yeah. them on there and see, let's see how this flies. Oh, let's make this scene so low lit. We can hide all of our mistakes. So before we get to anything else that we didn't like about the movie, let's talk about some of the good things, some of the things we did like. So uh, why don't we get started with you, Kat? What, what did you love about this movie, or at least like? Well, I love Gal Gadot, and I loved all the Amazonians. <laughs> um, I loved some of the subtle callbacks. You know, in the first movie, she's kind of like fish out of water, and uh, Steve takes her um, around, what is it, England, right, to show her, like, what's going on, takes her shopping, shows her a train, gives her right. ice cream. Here, it's kind of backwards. Yeah. So here we yeah. watch um, her dressing him up and take him, taking him on a metro ride. And he's just like so fascinated about this new train and the new fashions. And it's just those subtle callbacks were like really good to see. Just so you know, it's one cohesive, you know, narrative. In the end, the Christmas scene, the ending, 
I loved, I guess, the timing of it. Um, Myron, you said how the first movie was um, social commentary on war. This movie was social commentary on hope that is so timely right now. And I thought it was nice to see those people come together and hug each other. I mean, do you remember that? Like hugging each other and being outside and, and having fun. And what I thought was really fun is that, of course they showed the red balloon stars, you know, sign of hope. But also I thought it was really cool that in the last um, scene uh, where, there, where she's outside in the snow, you um, those who know what her actual family Emily looks like her husband and her two kids are on the carousel. So I thought that oh, was really are? cool. Yeah, that oh, was a cool cameo. Wow. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I'm yeah. sure we'll get to another cameo, but I thought that was yeah. really cool. Yeah. <laughs> I know what you're talking about. Um, I thought Gal Gadot was a lot more at home in this role than she was in the first film. I think she has a lot of charisma, is extremely likable. Um, and she has a quiet strength uh, to the roles that she plays. And here it's on, it's on full display. Um, the entire opening sequence we talked about is, yes. which is a flashback to Diana's youth, was really the best sequence of the film. Um, I really love Chris Pine too. I said the first thirty to forty minutes I wasn't a fan of. I realized the kind of churning point of the film I think is when he uh, finally comes on screen. I really mm -hmm. liked him in the first one too, because he had this sort of old school, like old Hollywood gentleman uh, type old fashioned charm that I thought worked really well. It's almost like a ah shucks kind of attitude. Uh, and uh, it works well here. I think him and Gal have some really genuine chemistry, and I totally bought into it. Um, there was a scene, which was also one of my favorite in the movie. Uh, I mean, if you watch the TV show we and, the, and read the comics, we know that Wonder Woman had an invisible jet, which is something oh, that yeah. they shied away from in the, comic, in the first movie because it was just way too campy. But here they made it work by suggesting that it was needed uh, within the scene because, you know, they're making this getaway on a plane and, you know, we know that Diana is a, is a goddess and that her father once had the ability to make things invisible. So she's able to make this plane invisible. It happens within the scene to make it work because they had to do that in order to get away. And then uh, at that same moment, it just so conveniently happens to be the 4th of July and there's fireworks going off around them. It was a really beautiful romantic scene and I kind of genuine, genuine, like... For the most part, I don't really like cheesy scenes like that, but I was all in. I totally bought into it. It so. was good, but also remember, it didn't really make sense as well when they were yeah. getting away like in a jet that was fully fueled. Like yeah. that was the other thing yeah. too with me was like, okay, this is a bittersweet, really a bittersweet scene because it's like, how the heck are they getting away in a jet that's already fueled? Yeah. <laughs> um, this other thing I want to talk about, and I'm going to ask you guys what you thought, um, is uh, the end of the film. It really got me uh, like twice I was in tears and uh, it's pretty sad because like, you know, during the first 40 minutes, I was a, a genuine cynic, but uh, they really swung for the fences. Like some people accused the first Wonder Woman of having an ending that was really off in tone from the rest of the film. Um, here, they really, really went for it. And uh, if you do try to do, uh, go in that direction, oftentimes, if you miss the mark, it can go over your audience's heads and they're just left rolling their eyes. It really got to me. There's like a father-son element. There is a, um, you know, long lost lovers that are going to lose each other again type of element. And then this thing that you talked about, Kat, is this idea, this, this theme of hope that uh, sometimes the things that we want are actually going to hurt us. And, uh, you know, 
we will grow as people if we understand that and if we hold on to a hope for a better life that we work towards rather than trying to take the easy way out, which is what Diana did in the first scene uh, mm-hmm. in that flashback when she was a kid. So let me ask you two, the end of the film, did it miss the mark or did it hit you in the heart? I think it would have hit me in the heart had she not linked up with the guy who, and again, uh, spoiler warning, that Steve possessed you know the spirit of steve possessed his body and diana just kept seeing steve in his body and then all of a sudden he shows up dressed as she would have styled him and it's just casual you know it's just casual it's like nothing ever happened it's like (laughs) i'm sorry okay i'm just gonna bring up one major question major does this guy not have a life like, how yeah, did right? Steve possess his body and his friends did not miss him for however long, you know, yeah. they were saving the world. What was he doing? Did he have a girlfriend? What's his backstory? We don't know anything about him except that he's a host. Even a in host. the credits, he doesn't even have a name. I think they just call him like a good looking stranger. So you want... <laughs> So really, in this touching scene of families uniting and kids hugging and snowballs, you know, being thrown, she meets this rando that she hooked up with because her ex-deceased lover possessed his body and there's no emotion. And you are absolutely correct. I am on the IMDb page right now and he's credited as playing the handsome man. There you go. Oh my gosh. Yeah, for me, uh, like the the moments that I really loved was when, you know, um, Diana says goodbye to uh, Steve. That was a special moment. I also really loved the scene. It was kind of played over the top by Pedro Pascal. It's weird. His role calls for him to be like dialing it up like to a 20, right? But um, it worked for him. And there's a scene where he reunites with his son and uh, that, you know, he loses his humanity, but he's able to gain it back by remembering the relationship he has with the son, which I'd still like to know why he's Asian. Um, I don't care yes. that he is, but yes, I'd like no, to know because I'm asking, it, it pulls me out of the movie. I'm like, why is he Asian? Are they going to explain it? Was his mom Asian? And they never explain it. So now every time I see his son, I'm like, okay, there has to be something here because I'm asking the question and it's taking me out. But anyway, um, WTF people there at this moment. Um, I actually want to draw back to um, the character of Lord. Did he seem Mm. kind of familiar to you guys? Like this fallen TV. And I'm not talking Mandalorian. I'm talking fallen TV star, greedy, gets over his head, becomes president. Uh, Side swoop, very, very, very uh, Trumpy. All right, let me ask you guys: anything you guys didn't like about the film? We talked about some elements, the campiness, the fight scenes, uh, some of the costuming. Wanted to ask you guys if you had anything else. I know, I know, you touched on this, Myron, like how you really felt like a connection. It was very sentimental at the at the end monologue scene with Diana. It, I, I couldn't connect with it. It felt weak and lacked a strong resolution. I feel like it tried too hard having an emotional connection rather than an epic, I don't know, for me, an epic battle, I guess, like from the first Wonder Woman with uh, Ares, you know? Okay. Uh, and the way how she lost uh, Steve uh, in the first Wonder Woman. I, I feel like, that there, I don't know, for me, when it comes to DC or comics, like uh, any comic book film, it just, I don't know, it just for me, it needs to have that good balance of, of action and, and sentiment. But I feel like this became more like a 80-20, 80% sentiment, 20% 
action for me really so i don't know for me that's just my own bias like i, I like things kind of balanced in that sense it just seems like they took a bunch of stuff and expect us to go with it let me just list a few and you tell me okay we have nukes appearing and everyone's getting ready you know to go to war world war three and all of a sudden everyone just revokes their wish we have walls appearing okay sure we'll go with that um steve walks up to a 1984 airplane and can just fly it because it's so similar to the one during world war one um it's just about wind and air right <laughs> exactly you just and kind just of buttons go right buttons <laughs> And it's just things like that. So then in the middle of this, if we have Barbara becoming cat, like Cheetah, why couldn't they just bring Steve back? Because that would be weird. Right. It's not weird enough to have a wall appear or nukes or everyone just like dropping dead because someone wished them to just die of heart attack. But Steve, that's where they drew the line. They were just like, that would yeah. be too weird if we brought him back. Because then everyone the would have, yeah, Steve. the actual yeah. character of Steve. We have to put him in a modern body. And then biggest question of all. Uh, does everyone just in 1984 go on living after this as like just remembering Nothing this? Never happened. <laughs> well, no memories were erased. That's, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. There was in Superman, correct? He fly like in the 70s, he like flies yeah. back, turns Backwards. back time. No yeah. one knows. Here, everyone's just gonna be like, oh, hey, remember that day when a wall appeared and then disappeared? Yeah. <laughs> and then when I wished for you to drop dead? Yeah, then, yeah. <laughs> but then you what? come back alive. Amazing, right? And then it just all stopped because we all revoked our wish. And let me tell you about purpose and hope. <laughs> this movie wants us to believe that someone like Diana, who, I don't know, uh, whose father is Zeus and her mom is the queen of the Amazonians. She was sculpted from clay. This girl who wanted to fight. I mean, we watched it at the beginning of this movie. She wants to be a warrior. She wants to compete. And this movie wants us to believe that she's so delusional that she will settle for a relationship with a guy uh, who is hosting the spirit of her ex who she had a cool week with back during World War One, and somehow is going to live happily ever after. And for that, she's going to give up her life's purpose. Please just tell just tell me like just tell me how that is not crazy. Well put. And they want us to believe that, like, they just want us to go with it. They want us to believe that this beautiful woman who is so strong and independent and powerful will just give up her life's purpose for, like, an illusion of a guy. All very good points. All very, very good points. But yet, I think we all still kind of general, generally like the film, right? It was entertaining. It was okay, fun, well, right? I mean. Yeah, I truly. So with that said, then, like, let's, let's, let's find out. Myron. All right. I give this film three and a half stars. It started off really, really rocky, but I have to say that the movie eventually made up for it in spades. It was also extremely emotionally satisfying for me, even more so than the original film, even though the original movie was a much better film or a much better watch overall. But I mean, it is uneven and there are quite a few plot holes and the film really does feel like it's at odds with itself. Um, but at the same time, it really was just an entertaining movie. I like this movie and I, I cried at the end of Wonder Woman. So I'm a cheesy guy. So <laughs> three and a half stars. What do you say? Will? I give it three. I mean, like 
they had good momentum, you know, in the Amazonian world. Uh, Mascara. I, I, what was it called again, Kat? It was the land of... The Mascara. The Mascara, yes. I and mean, just her... The Mascara. The Mascara. Just yeah. when Diana was young and you see the ambition, the drive, like for me, loved it. I was like, all right, this is a very strong start to a film. I love it. But then it just dipped for me. Like like I said, with all the plot holes. So I, gi- I give it three stars. It's still watchable. Still, you know, you should still check it out just, you know, for me. But I would say, like, for me, I just watch it once and I'm, I'm good. <laughs> I am giving this three and a half stars mm. and hear me out. Again, I'm giving this a three and a half because of all of the callbacks to the first movie that were really cool. And, like, if you're a fan of the first one, you could easily pick them up. I did enjoy the storytelling through costumes, especially with the callback of the outfit that she wears when she takes Steve um, around DC. It's a straight callback to what um, Linda Carter wore in in the show that like blazer and and the shirt. And it's very, it's very Wonder Woman when Linda Carter um, was playing her in the show. Um, I of course enjoyed the first opening scene. I enjoyed somewhat the closing. But I think what really brought me back, and we haven't talked about it yet, is the Linda Carter cameo. Mm -hmm. The post-credit scene. You had to stay through the credits to see it. And to me, that was really cool. And that's what really gives it the um, The extra half half of the star. Mm -hmm. I agree. Oh, yeah, yeah. That, That was pretty cool seeing that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. That was our review of Wonder Woman 1984. We will take a short break, come back with a review of the film Soul. Stay tuned. David, look. They're wheels. Wheels? Where are they? 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 Where what a wonderful day to be in the house of the Lord. If you're here with us for the first time, please stand. What a beautiful family. Glad you're here. How's your daddy like that new farm? He growing things good, doing things right. Yes. I don't like grandma. Grandma smells like Korea. Yeah. ぼらぼくれますね。うん。俺は起きたら曲がるこや。애들을 we need to find water somewhere. If that soil ain't wet, we're gonna lose the crop.
What the... What is this place? What's your name, honey? Uh, I'm Joe. I teach middle school band. Howdy, go for it! Today started out as the best day of my life. Back here tonight, first show's at 7. Yes! Woohoo! You know what that's gonna say? Joe Gardner! <laughs> I did it! I got the gig! Must have been sudden for you. That was a look at the trailers for Minari as well as Soul, which we are reviewing now. Soul is about a musician who has lost his passion for music. He is transported out of his body and must find his way back with the help of an infant soul learning about herself. I will say that the level of thought and detail that was put into this movie is astounding. There are really, there really aren't any original ideas coming out of Hollywood anymore, uh, especially now with the pandemic. But uh, I feel like the only real, really organizations or people kind of doing original big blockbuster movies it's christopher nolan and pixar but yeah i, I mean they're both doing great and they both had movies come out this year pixar too actually if we go back to to look at onward i really did enjoy this film but before i talk about that will i wanted to hear what your take on this movie was so i agree with everything you said i think the concept i loved actually how they used the title soul as a double meaning to really mm-hmm. tie in jazz right and also an actual soul um, I think that both Jamie Foxx, who plays Joe, you know, a struggling jazz musician uh, and a music teacher at a local high school, along with Tina Fey, who plays Soul 22, an entity trying to find her place in the world, obviously, um, they have great chemistry. I, I think that they did a great job really playing off each other and, and it felt genuine. I thought the concept of the world of the great before, because you have the great beyond and then they have the great before, mm-hmm. which where Joe... Uh, tries uh, when he's trying to escape the great beyond ends up in the great before where basically how life begins that that's the whole great before uh, concept and I thought it was an interesting take on creationism uh, it was simple enough where it didn't need to go so much into detail of how life began it was just playful and fun and I think yet yeah, I think the main message of this film was pretty moving about purpose and existence because what we think about, you know, Pixar films, you know, they're always trying to really emotionally captivate you uh, mm-hmm. and really try to pull your heartstrings. This one, I will say, though, is a, it's different. I actually really like the visual aesthetic uh, of the film. I like the contrast between the real world, yep. which is basically the Pixarized version of the world that we've seen in many movies from Toy Story to Inside Out. Yes. Basically, real life but with people that look slightly cartoony. And then we go into the great before where everything looks like a very simplified, like toned down minimalism, minimalized version of what we think it would be. But even more than the great before, I actually like how the great beyond look everything. There were elements that were actually like two dimensional Mm -hmm. and very flat, Mm -hmm. which I really liked. And then there were like these people that ran the show in, in, you know, 
the great beyond and the great before uh and they're basically just called the uh, jerry's and the terry's <laughs> and, like there were multiple characters named jerry multiple characters named terry yeah they look like deconstructed uh picasso paintings where you could barely they look like squiggly lines but you could just make out that there's a face talking you know i, I so i actually think they took a huge risk on, on making the those scenes that unique and different and to me it paid off uh the voice work for for me was also really great jamie fox tina fey of course as the leads i also really like rachel house who played uh terry the i guess you could call her the uh, the bean counter who counts souls mm -hmm. and i heard that voice i was like i heard that voice before i know that voice and yeah basically she was in the hunt for the wilder people where she played the exact same character pretty much mm -hmm. uh the the overzealous person trying to find the people that went missing um and without ruining the end of this film Pixar always makes big grand statements about life with their films and they do the same with this one. However, that big aha moment is far more subtle and as a result, uh, to me, I felt like it was a lot more powerful. And the other thing that I noticed while watching, I was like, okay, this score sounds really similar to scores that I've heard in the past in other movies and I checked it's the Nine Inch Nails guys, Trent Reznor, Atticus Ross, yes. Academy Award winners for The Social Network. Their music was phenomenal. And whoever would have thought, I mean, on paper, pairing the Nine Inch Nails guys with Pixar guys sounds like a horrible idea. But their music, when paired with elements of the afterlife and the things that you're seeing, worked perfectly and for me the other big reason why um, the movie worked is that it was unpredictable i mean we're getting into spoilers here i had no idea that like right after they go to the great before they're going to come right back uh, onto planet earth and uh, this kind of threw me for a loop i just kind of went with it but then uh, yeah jamie fox is no longer in joe's body he's in a cat's body mm -hmm. and tina fey is now in joe's body which was Kind of odd, kind of weird, but I, I just went with it. Um, but yeah, those are the things that I, I liked about the film. Uh, why don't I hand it over to you, Kat? I'll start off saying that there were some things that I liked in it. They weren't as on the nose, um, I guess, that I enjoyed, and I'll get into those. But overall, this is no peak Pixar. This is no Up, no Coco, <laughs> no, I don't know, even Toy Story. Toy Story 4, I mean, really, let's... Let's just be honest. Um, <laughs> I went into this movie with an open mind and right out the bat, I realized this was mostly Pixar for adults rather than kids. Yes, good point. Yes, kids can watch it and kind of like, you know, whatever, digest it and be like, oh, fun, weird characters. Okay. This was definitely for um, the generation of Pixar watchers who grew up on movies such as, you know, yeah, Toy, Toy Story. Story. Good point. Mm -hmm. I like that. Yeah. That's a really good point. Yeah. yeah. So, and especially there were like a little like nuggets of fun, like uh, the meditation and, you know, the, like the Reiki or whatever they do. I mean, that's so now and it's, so our generation that I don't know that kids could enjoy it as much as we would. So that part I, I like uh, to touch on the great before very Yeezy vibe, uh, <laughs> something Kim and Kanye would put together for their kids birthday party. You know, it's those tones, the very like Muppety, like fluffy, cuddly. Yeah. Yeah. So not, I don't know. I'm just, I didn't see anything original mm -hmm. in that. And those Picasso, I, uh, as someone who loves art, studied art history, seeing those Picasso-like 
drawings mm-hmm. felt almost insulting to me. <laughs> <laughs> okay, carrying on. Yes. Um, I when I first watched the trailer for this movie, I was really excited to see diversity. You know, this is our first Pixar um, black-led cast, yep. or so we were led to believe. <laughs> and then somehow, midway through the movie, Jamie Foxx is voiceover is doing a voiceover for the cat, and Tina Fey, a white woman, is voice doing the voiceover for uh, an African American man. Yeah. I think in terms of the plot, what they were doing is um, Tina Fey's character needed to experience things that she was always fearful of in a human body. So I think that's what they were going for. Maybe it could have been done more elegantly, um, you know, to to not raise the questions that we're asking now. But Mm -hmm. yeah, totally. And that's yeah. And that's just storytelling, you know, Mm -hmm. and that's where I think it fell. I'm no writer. Clearly, I can't come up with a better plot for this, but maybe they could have. And again, I'm no way trying to shit on Tina Fey, but maybe they could have cast uh, an actress of color to do the voice Mm. of 22. And then we wouldn't be asking um, these questions. So let me get get this straight. It's kind of as though, you know, they're trying to really delve into certain big overarching themes. And then in the middle of the movie, they're resorting to like slapstick antics, like, oh, body swap, humans and the cat. Soul is absolutely. The human it's it's a very ambitious movie based on the themes that they were trying to explore. I can't help but parallel this to Coco, which to me was such a beautiful, yeah. beautiful story. And yes, Coco deals with that. you know souls traveling into afterlife. Mm-hmm. This is pre, and it's just not as great of storytelling it's not as eloquent like they're putting these ideas out but they're not really wrapping them up in a bow because we still don't know what 22 went on to do right right like i would have loved to know what i guess her spark was like i would have loved to know that all of these great people that try to influence her like Abe Lincoln and Marie Antoinette, Albert Einstein and all just uh, Picasso again. (laughs) Yeah. Um, The list goes on and we're just kind of left to assume that she's going to be great, whatever she becomes. Um, I have to give them credit though, because world building on this scale is really hard. And as you build a world, it's going to make you ask a lot of questions, not all of which can be answered, but I think they did a good enough job where maybe hopefully we can you know, fill in the blanks uh, after a viewing or two. What I thought was the strongest point of the movie, uh, and to me, it was the barbershop scene when ah, they're all yeah. together and talking about what uh, you should and should not be doing. And that, to me, felt like the most authentic message of the film. You know, when everyone comes in and kind of gives their bits of their stories. Oh, I wanted to do X, but I ended up doing Z. And I'm just as happy doing that. Although I didn't think that was going to be my life's quote unquote purpose. Mm-hmm. There's only one other part that that didn't fit well with me, which I thought was kind of funny when I kind of was like thinking about it in my head was, why was Joe's mother like never notified of his hospitalization <laughs> and especially in the condition and how quickly it seemed that he was admitted to the hospital? 
because she never yeah. knew. And I'm like, is this the same day? Are we in the same day or has he been in the hospital for at least a couple of days? I don't understand. Like, but if he was, and then he just walks back into the dry cleaners, like nothing ever, nothing happened. ever happened. And she's like, she had no idea. And she's yeah. like, you're still going to take that gig. And I'm just like, wait, do you not know he was on the verge of death? <laughs> like, he, he, has a, he, he has a wellness cat, like right on with him. And you didn't know, like no one notified you. What the heck? He didn't have his wallet on him. What the heck's going on? I'm so confused. That was the only other part that just didn't make sense to me. <laughs> All right, all right. I see you guys. Well, I think it's about that time to issue our final reviews of the film. I think Will, you can go first, and then Cat next, and then I'll finish us up. So we're basically going good news, bad news, good news. <laughs> but uh, Will, God, give it your go. All right. Well, with only two really cons, like the only two little things that I didn't like about it, I still think that this film deserves a four point five rating. Uh, I think that it just it, the the message of it I thought was still moving, you know, of the purpose and existence. I thought they did a pretty good job with uh, really emulate, uh, really giving that message. Uh, I thought that the the acting, of course, was great. I thought like the um, the structure and the concept of the great before. Even though I know, cat, you had your your whole spiel with like. You know the the Jerry and Terry's being uh, a an offensive Picasso looking painting. I thought that keeping it simple and just keeping it vague, because as you said, also stated Myron, it's when you try to create a world of that's beyond our limitations of what we can imagine, it, it can get really difficult. So just trying to really accept it and and get to a point where it's simple enough. I thought they did that pretty well. I loved, I obviously like, I just love when you're able to even think of a, a film where you can have the title and tie it in so nicely with, with the kind of like the theme of what's going on. So soul, you know, about jazz and about actual spirits. I thought that was really fun to, to really uh, to tie in with that. Uh, but yeah, I, I think it's a 4.5. The way it was also shot, the lighting of it, the animation, beautifully done, especially in the real world. Uh, I, I thought it was so well detailed. So 4.5. Mm. Okay. All right, Kat, lay it on us. What do you think? Okay. Um, I know that she stands alone. <laughs> the girl who loved Requiem for a Dream, the cynic. This wasn't dark enough for We'll you. give this film. It's okay. Too optimistic, I guess. Um, I'm giving this two and a half. And okay. I know I will be crucified by everyone. And maybe my cold soul just cannot understand the point of the movie soul. But just simply for the barbershop scene and for the cute little Mr. Mittens, Mittens playing in the sun, uh, this uh, film for me gets a two and a half. And um, back to you, Myron. Okay. Hey, <laughs> I, I, we appreciate your, your uh, opinion. I actually think you had some really, really great points. And based on your points, I'm actually going to knock down my score a half star. I had this at four and a half. And uh, Will, 
uh, and Kat, both of you raised some points that I have to agree with, and uh, it kind of sticks out to me now. So uh, I give it four. It's an amazing, heartfelt, heartfelt film. It makes you appreciate life as a whole with all of its successes and failures, and it reminds us that the purpose of life may not be just about the goals we set for ourselves. Rather, it's just about the living. So for those reasons, I really appreciated this movie, and I also really appreciated the world that they built and the risks that they took. So uh, that is our review of the film Soul. It is available for streaming now on Disney+. Plus. We will take a short break, and Will, Kat, and I will come back and discuss our, our top five most anticipated films of 2021. Stay tuned. Ladies and gentlemen, my name is Captain Jefferson Kyle Kidd, and I'm here tonight to read the news from across this great world of ours. So they pay you to tell stories. I ain't never heard of that as a thing a man can do. It's not a rich man's occupation, as you can see. Hey! Stop! Stop! I'm not gonna hurt you! Do you understand English? Dolly, I call that, uh... Friend. It says your name is Joanna Leonberger. Indians took you when they attacked your family six years prior. The mother, father, and sister were... Well, they passed. She's got family down in Castroville. Captain, why are you doing this? She needs to laugh and dream. She needs new memories. Roads closed. Is that the law? It is now. All right. We are back and uh, looking forward to 2021. I think it's safe to say that we all are very excited. Number one, hopefully theaters will open up, will open up and things will go back to normal or at least some semblance of normal. And number two, a lot of movies that got postponed from 2020 will finally be coming out in 2021. So we'll be talking about some movies, which uh, that definitely does apply to. We'll get started in descending order with our number five picks. So let me ask you first, Kat, what is your number five most anticipated film of 2021? My number five most anticipated film of 2021 has now had uh, the release uh, pushed back twice. It is now set for the end of January, so hopefully we'll be seeing it very soon. And it's uh, Wes Anderson's French Dispatch. It began as a holiday. Eager to escape a bright future on the Great Plains, Arthur Howitzer Jr. transformed the series of travelogue columns into the French Dispatch, a factual weekly report on the subjects of world politics, the arts, high and low, and diverse stories of human interest. You don't think it's almost too seedy this time? No, I don't. For decent people. It's supposed to be charming. He assembled a team of the best expatriate journalists of his time. Berenson, Sazerac, Kremens, Roebuck Wright. These were his people. Just try to make it sound like you wrote it that way on purpose. Just the trailer on its own is magical. It has all of Wes's, uh, you know, his best beeps. Exactly. Like, it's just, it's so Wes Anderson and so amazing. The humor's great. I'm sure the storytelling will be great. The cast, let's just name a few. Timothy Chalamet, Bill Murray, Tilda Swinton, Benicio Del Toro, uh, 
Adrian Brody, Owen Wilson, Sorcia Ronan, Jeffrey Wright, Elizabeth Moss, the list goes on. And I just cannot wait to see to see what he comes up with. Bill Murray. I am all in. Always can always can rely on Bill Murray yeah. with Wes Anderson. <laughs> all right. I am all in for this one. Very nice pick Got there. I, I appreciate that one. I will, that will definitely be on my radar. Will, what is your number five pick? My number five pick for uh, most anticipated is A Quiet Place Part 2. horror drama sci-fi flick and i really enjoyed the first quiet place i think john krasinski did an amazing job uh directing it and even writing it and the fact that i i didn't even realize that this was gonna be um another like see i didn't think there was gonna be a sequel i thought like how are you gonna continue without you john like dude you can't right but no they're like doing it and it's gonna be following the events of the abbott family uh, of now basically facing that terror of the outside world. <clears throat> Emily Blunt's back, obviously. You got uh, Millicent Simmons coming back. Like, so basically the entire, like, the three, the, the family is still there. I'm excited. I, I think that this, and I saw the trailer for it too, and it looks intense. Like, you got now the not just the the monsters to deal with now, but also more people that who can you, the whole question of who can you really trust in this day and age or in this time. I, I can't wait. It's going to be fun. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I was a huge fan of the first film. I uh, really like when movies take the experience of sitting in the chair, watching the film, and it tweaks it a little bit. We saw a little bit of that with the film Sound of Metal, in which it toyed with uh, manipulating the sound yes. design to change your experience. And I really appreciated how they did that in a horror movie where taking sound away from the movie actually heightened the suspense. So uh, that's a. Really good pick. I am also eager to see it. My only fear is that by taking away John Krasinski and putting them in a real world, that uh, it the Quiet Place Two might become very unquiet place esque. But I still have high hopes have for the faith, film. Have faith, Myron. Have uh, faith. Yeah, I, I I do have faith. I do have faith. <laughs> All right, my number five pick is. Uh, by the way, you're only getting popcorn movies from me, so uh, it shows to the. Uh, it the I know, right? I'm very. And you call yourself a movie buff. <laughs> I know, Shots right? fired. <laughs> Shots fired. But yeah, I picked Top Gun Maverick. Uh, this film is on my list yeah. for pure nostalgia. Mm -hmm. So the original Top Gun was one of my first movie-going experiences back in 1986. We bought the VHS tape. I watched it so much that the image started to degrade and started to shake when I watched it. In the first grade, I had every line of the movie memorized. So that's kind of odd for a first grader, I guess you could say. Um, trailer for this film gave me goosebumps. Unfortunately, in what was a truly shitty 2020, this movie got delayed and delayed and delayed. And I'm hoping that the wait was worth it. My dad believed in you. 
I'm not gonna make the same mistake. You know what happens to you if you go through with this. I have everything I need to have you court-martialed and dishonorably discharged. The end is inevitable, Maverick. What are you gonna do? So that is my number five pick. Back over to you, Kat. What is your number four pick? Well, I take my shots back just for the nostalgia factor. <laughs> oh, um, and uh, I'm sorry if um, I hit a, uh, like a soft spot with oh, you. No, 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 no. Um, you're more than welcome to make fun of me very for sensitive. my number four. Kat. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> so my number four is... Um, a movie produced by no other than Pharrell Williams mm. um, and directed by Mikey Alfred. They're putting out North Hollywood. And as someone who grew up in the 90s, uh, someone who skateboarded or attempted to, uh, this movie is very nostalgic for me. Are you wearing a sweater and shorts? What? Why are you wearing pants? Pops, you can wear shorts and a sweater. That doesn't make any sense. Wear pants and a shirt. Hey, Mike, you got that shit. Come on. Pops, I'm telling you, I'm nice on the board. You're nice on the board? When did yeah. you start talking like that? You already know what you should do. Get your bitch ass out the way. Hey, you watch how you talk. Hey, you need to show me respect, bud. Uh, Just out of this fucking way. Oh, get out of here. I'm not asking. I'm gonna go to college. I'm also gonna skate. Yo, Mikey! What's up, bro? Your focus is gonna be on college. It's on my list. It looks phenomenal. It's everything um, about becoming a, a, a pro skateboarder and the struggles of it and how most uh, people who try to become professional skateboarders end up working in skate shops. So for that alone, I just cannot wait to see it. All right. My number four pick is No Time to Die. Delayed, delayed, of delayed. Course. After all the delays, this film better be worth it. There were rumors that it was being shopped around and that Apple TV Plus and Netflix put out huge bids on it, but Sony decided to wait. The past isn't dead. James, fate draws us back together. Now your enemy is my enemy. His name is Sefin. And what does he want? Revenge. Me. When her secret finds its way out, it'll be the death of you. You can imagine why I've come back to play. I love Kerry Fukunaga. Going back to True Detective and Peace of No Nation, this guy does not know how to direct a bad piece of work. And so I am really excited to watch this movie. Daniel Craig's last go-around as Bond. You have Rami Malek fresh off of his Oscar win. I guess it's not really fresh off since it's been delayed so much. So, But still, I'm really, happy. I'm really excited to see what he's going to do in the role of the villain. So uh, that is my number four pick. Uh, turning it over to you, Will. What is your number four pick? My number four pick is Dune. Now, I have not uh, seen the original Dune from 1985, directed by David Lynch. And also, the book is obviously based off of Frank Herbert's novel. So yeah. I know I'm going to be watching that first. I want to see David Lynch's version before I watch this because it just sounds awesome. 
I love Italian food and I love uh, the actual animation in this. It's basically a young boy experiences an unforgettable seaside summer on the Italian Riviera filled with gelato, pasta, and endless scooter rides. Luca shares these adventures with his newfound best friend, but all the fun is threatened by a deeply held secret. He's a sea monster from another world just below the ocean's surface, but he's, dre- but he's disguised himself as a human, as, as a person. And the voices that you have, okay. uh, what was, what the, I mean, I know, I know, <laughs> but jo- no, they'll make it work. They're Pixar. It's yeah, fine. I know. Yeah. I, I'm just so John Ratzenberg uh, is one of the voices as well as Drake Bell, as always. Yep. And yeah. Drake Bell. So I'm, I'm assuming Drake Bell might be the voice of Luca. We'll see. Um, but yeah. yeah, I just it looked it looked like a lot of fun, and I actually uh, dug the animation. It's a lot more playful and a lot more um, just seems a bit more. Um, fun yeah so that's my number three cool yes vacation in italy does sound very fun to let you all know we all did share our lists in advance so uh on to our number twos it looks like uh, will and i agree my number two film is the matrix part four uh for a lot of reasons here uh we reviewed this in our uh, podcast a few months ago the matrix part one to me is a perfect film hands down unfortunately the next two were not so perfect, and I am just excited to see what the Wachowskis do with the film, and I'm more, even more excited to see what an older, more uh, John Wickified, John Wicky Keanu will do in the role of Neo. Mm-hmm. Neo with a beard, a grizzled, more uh, or less innocent version of his uh, first character, but I really don't even know what they're, what they're doing with this. I'm really interested. It's going to be fun to see Carrie Ann Moss back in the part as well. And uh, they were using the Red Komodo a camera, which we've talked about quite a bit. They apparently are using that in this movie the as well. The entire, so, as an A Really cam? excited. No, as, as a B, B cam. cam. Okay, I was about to say, I was like, wow, that's yeah. crazy. But the other thing too is, Am I, go on. I think it's li- literally just for like explosions. They just set sure, up a bunch okay, okay. so they don't so melt stunt the camera. camera basically. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it looks like Lon is the only one that's going to be directing this. Looks like it, okay. yeah. And it's funny because yeah. I, I, I love how IMDb has basically gave us the in scoop of what the synopsis is, which basically just says the plot is currently unknown. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> What's interesting is that they were supposed to reboot The Matrix with Michael B. Jordan as the lead. And uh, I'm just happy that they're going back to their original roots. Mm-hmm. So uh, that should be fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What are your thoughts on The Matrix? Well, I know this is your, your number two yes, as well. I, hey, I like The Matrix too. Yeah, but it's not your number two though. We Kat. agree on something for a <laughs> Yeah, change. but is it your number two though? No. Mm. It's, I don't think it's in my top 10 either. Jeez. Mm. Yeah. I agree with you. Fair. Matrix 1. Awesome. Uh, I, I actually did like Matrix 2. Um, Reloaded. I thought that uh, it was... Uh, it, it held up at least. It wasn't as bad as as some others thought. Then Matrix Three, it just kind of like really went, took a deep dive because I think they were getting too. They're trying to explain so many inexplainables, uh, and 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 kind of like the dialogue just kind of got way too. Uh, what was it? It just got too messy, honestly, for me. Uh, I have to literally yeah. watch it like four times just to break down each scene of like what what is this architect trying to really explain and whatnot and and the mm. whole meaning behind the the whole situation. But I, I remember like when it first came out when I was like in high school and just my friends and I, the first Matrix, we 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 couldn't just stop talking about. It. We we're always talking about and debating about just the the philosophy behind like the whole world of the Matrix. So I'm I'm hoping that this will be. Even though it's only going to be Lana Wachowski directing it, 
I, I'm just I'm hoping that this was if this is going to be a bit of a redemption for the part two and three. So we'll see what happens. Mm. So, yeah. Cool. Yeah. Looking forward to it. How about you, Kat? What is your number two? Number two, I will be staying on topic of stories that are current and need to be told. Um, mm. And um, this one's emotional as well and seems very, very heavy. And it's um, Pieces of a Woman coming to Netflix on January 7th, um, starring Vanessa Kirby and Shia LaBeouf. I wanted to stay at home. I wanted the baby to decide when she wanted to come. My daughter came into this world. For the time that she did. And I can't bring her back. So it's a heartbreaking home birth, leaves a woman grappling with the profound emotional fallout, isolated from her partner and family by grief. Uh, Vanessa Kirby is already generating some Oscar buzz for this role because of how, you know, emotionally heavy this role is. Um, and truly, um, I don't think there will be uh, like a dry eye watching this because right there at the top of the film, we know we we watch her give birth uh, at home and she loses the baby. And this is not a spoiler. You get this from the trailer. It's what happens afterwards and the grief that she carries. That's the story of the movie. And it is something that needs to be spoken about Um especially now you are so heavy yeah. Kat. my gosh these films right now they're so heavy <laughs> yeah i will tell my wife not to watch this <laughs> oh, movie so yeah she so she's pregnant uh, about to give birth in late february and me being the the idiot husband actually i don't know if you guys have heard of the film called tully which deals with postpartum depression and a woman breaking mm -hmm. from reality yeah, yeah so uh i made her watch this with me a month after our son was oh, born no and we were watching it and she's looking at me like why are you making me oh watch this? my god so she that was bad so she will not be watching this for, for a while but i'm definitely gonna watch it because that sounds incredible i will watch anything shia is in he's um I, I love him can you please discuss that on the podcast i would love to hear yes. we'll hear you, you guys oh my gosh oh my gosh so i'll yeah. be seeing you very soon Boom. okay Sounds good. Let's Sounds bring it good. back up lightly Boom. now. <laughs> no, I would All love right. to hear dudes talk about this and how how yeah. much this will impact you. And of course, just you know, um, uh, Vanessa Kirby is on the current issue of Harper's Bazaar talking about this film. So you know, she's clearly being recognized for this role this early on. So like, you you just can't ignore this. Oh, right. I think we're going to pick things up in levity a little bit with our number one pick. You can't get any more popcorn-y, popcorn flicky than uh, Spider-Man yes. 3. And I think Will and I are That's agreeing here. One. Now, let me tell you why. Tell us why. I want to watch this simply to see if they're going to fall on their face trying to, to make this yeah. happen. Um, Spider-Man 1 and 2, I'm talking about the Tom Holland movies, were great, fantastic. But 
there's this thing that people keep doing in comic book movies, which they should just stop, but they can't help themselves, is cramming as much as you possibly can into a comic book comic book movie it didn't work with spider-man 3 when you tried to put venom and the sandman into this movie right didn't work with uh the uh, emma stone andrew garfield spider-man the second one when you tried to cram the, the goblin the green goblin and uh, electro in that and here apparently if if they can make this happen they are bringing back toby mcguire and andrew, andrew garfield, garfield emma stone mm-hmm. kirsten dunst jamie fox <laughs> um <laughs> Dr. Octopus, Alfred Molina, and they're going to cram them all into a movie, which basically makes this movie the live-action version of Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, where you're dealing with alternate it's realities. It's the pastiche. Now. It is the hodgepodge of yeah. all the Spider-Man. Is, is it going to work? I don't know. To me, it sounds crazy, right? And the thing is, it's almost as if, so The Flash, they announced that they're doing this. Alternate realities, bringing Bruce Wayne back as a different uh, Batman played by Michael mm-hmm. Keaton. And Marvel is trying to beat them to the punch because this movie, I think, is going to come out at the end of 2021. Are they going to be able to get away with it? Are they going to fit all this into one movie? I want to see. I don't know if it'll work. If they fall on their face, it's going to be amazing. If they succeed, it's going to be amazing. So I I just want to watch it. I'm literally just going to watch it for two reasons. Either one, it's going to blow me away. Or two, it's going to make me laugh so hard. That it was just a huge mess because remember, like this is a huge hodgepodge. I think that, like you're saying too, this is basically what what we in, in film terms a pastiche, like bringing all the elements of a genre into one. But this one is the Spider Verse, and I think, like you're saying, I think you said earlier too, like this is uh, Spider Man into the Spider Verse live action. So. I, you know, I could be okay without Kirsten Dunst because I never really was a fan of her as a Mary Jane, but I'm fine with you know everyone else. But we'll see what happens. We this is gonna be interesting. All right, Cat, take, take us, home. us home. What is Bring your us number back one down. Film? Let's see. Let's see what sad. <laughs> no, well, my number one pick is going to be a banger. It's a film that we will all be talking about. I'm sure for a very long time. And Will, as you know me, this is no surprise that for my number one pick, I'm going with a documentary. Of course. And it's the documentary by Ryan White called Assassins. Kim Jong-nam has been assassinated. Two women have just been arrested in connection with the murder. Kim Jong-nam was the favorite son of Kim Jong-il, the former leader of North Korea. Kim Jong-nam questioned his brother's legitimacy. He would be considered a threat by Kim Jong-un. He allegedly smeared VX chemical onto his face. And then he looked into the TV camera. As if, yeah, I just did that, so what? The plot of Assassins follows the story of the assassination of Kim Jong-nam as he is assassinated by two young women who were tricked and thought they were participating in a prank show. This is a true story, obviously, documentary. Um, and it's bonkers. Uh, as you guys know, Kim Jong-nam uh, questioned the legitimacy of Kim Jong-un these women who assassinate him were groomed to believe that they were taking a part in this reality show. So 
uh, on the real cameras in the airport where this all happens, you see these two girls run up to him, cover up his eyes like a little peekaboo, run away, give like a little acknowledgement to the cameras and go. Practically an hour later, he drops dead. The girls are then, uh, you know, haunted down and they don't have anyone but themselves to turn to. This story is insane. It's recent. This happened in 2017. This will be a massive, massive, massive film. And it's going to be happening very soon. It sounds ridiculous. It sounds I, I know it's a true story, but that just sounds crazy. Yeah, this is something that no one could write, especially considering, you know, North Korea, current events, everything, the family ties, the family relationships, how these girls were just randomly picked out and uh, were trained and groomed over the years to believe that they're on a reality show that they thought they could easily just run up to uh, to Kim Jong-nam, cover his eyes, touch his face, and run away, and then he dies. It's, it's crazy. Incredible. Can't wait to talk about this oh, one oh either. Gosh. We'll have to review this one. Did a quick search right now. Currently at 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. Wow. It'll be available to watch on Apple iTunes for $9.99 on January 15th, 2021. So that is our episode for the day. Kat, thank you so much for joining us. I had a blast. Yes. Hope you had a good time. The pleasure's all mine, you guys. I hope I didn't let you down with my no. reviews Not and my top picks. And um, I'm so happy to be a part of this. Truly, yeah. thank you so much. Uh, it's a dream come true. Honestly. We will have you back in January to discuss some of these films. I had not heard about them until you brought these up. So I'm just excited to watch these. Let's and do we'll pieces definitely have of a, a woman and assassins together. Yeah. Yeah, it'd be a I good mean, time. A bummer, it'd be a happy time. A bummer of an episode. <laughs> yeah. All right. Sounds good. Thank you so much for joining us. Will and I will be back next week with uh, part one of our top 10 of 2020. Until then, stay safe. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays and a happy, happy new year. year. Everyone. See Take you there. Care.